And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Verse 14, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel has forsaken, have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 18, notice God's response. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. If you were to read the rest of uh, chapter 19, for the sake of time, we will not. Uh, But uh, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and tells him to get up, get out of his bad mood. God has more for him to do. God has more for him to accomplish. Uh, In fact, things weren't as bad as Elijah thought. He thought he was left alone. God said, no, you've been looking at the negative. Amen. There's 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 men that still believe in the true God of Israel. And I want to speak for just a few moments tonight on this subject. Satan's favorite weapon. Satan's favorite weapon. Amen. How many want to know about the favorite weapon of the enemy? And how we can defeat the weapon of the enemy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blessings, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy, Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah. God, you're great and greatly to be praised. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we feel in the house by being in your presence. Let your will be done and accomplished in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We've heard a lot of talk lately in the last four or five years about WMD, or Weapons of Mass Destruction. These were the weapons of choice used in the past by the ruthless leader Saddam Hussein upon his own people and his own subjects, uh, whether it was... uh, an explosive weapon of mass destruction or a chemical weapon of mass destruction. The idea was, I'm going to kill as many as I can with one shot. I'm going to destroy as many as I can with one weapon. But I want to tell you tonight that for Satan, or the spiritual uh, wickedness that dwells in high places, weapons of mass destruction seldom work. The devil does not use weapons of mass destruction because through his history and his development of understanding, he knows that he has to utilize WID or weapons of individual destruction. Satan fights individuals one at a time, one on one. We know that the objective of the devil is to kill and to steal and to destroy. 
destroy. The devil does not want you to make it to heaven. The devil does not want you to be on fire for God. The devil does not want you to have the joy of the Lord and to feel like you are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Uh, He wants to kill your faith. Uh, He wants to steal your joy. And he wants to destroy your future. The thief cometh not but to kill and to steal and to destroy. And when we look at the weapons that the enemy uses against individuals to try to steal their faith and to try to unravel their confidence in God and to try to erode their foundation in living for the Lord. There are many weapons that he has over the years learned to use effectively against individuals because his objective is to get you to turn your back on God. Amen? His objective is to get you to give up in what you're doing for the kingdom of God. And the attack of the enemy comes against new babies in Christ. The attack of the enemy comes against those that have been serving God for a little while. The attack of the enemy comes against those that have been serving God for a while. The attack of the enemy comes against those that are in the ministry, pastors, preachers, teachers. The attack of the enemy comes against those that are in their senior citizen years. The devil has one objective, and that is to kill and to steal and to destroy. Amen. In our own lives, we have seen evidence of the enemy's effort to destroy our relationship with God. He uses things like lust to try to get us tangled into fleshly desires, various forms of temptation that the enemy uses. There are very many efforts that he can use in the arena of temptation to destroy his people. The weapon of adultery, the weapon of fornication, the weapon of worldliness, the weapon of anger. And the enemy uses well the weapon of hatred and envy and feelings of unworthiness and a sense of unforgiveness, unable to forgive others and unable to forgive ourselves. And the devil uses each of these weapons effectively against people that are in the kingdom of God. Notice the devil does not fight against sinners because he already has them. But it's those that are making an effort to stand up for righteousness and to live for God that the enemy bears his teeth and begins to growl at like a roaring lion. Amen? Because the devil is frustrated and angry and upset uh, that even though he is the God of this world, we refuse to worship him. Amen. Even though he is the one that uh, uh, has the influence in this world and controls the mediums and controls uh, uh, the theaters and controls television and has control over the uh, written word and uh, has uh, uh, influence over the majority of the population, there are a group of people that decide that they're not going to bow down to the enemy. They're not going to bow down to his fashion. They're not going to bow down to his fleshly desires and to his will. But there is a group of people that's called the ecclesia or the church, the called out ones that have decided I'm not going to march to the beat of this world. I'm not going to submit myself to the desire and the passion and the whim of the devil, but I'm going to stand up for righteousness. I'm going to march to the beat of the Lord's drum. Hallelujah. I'm going to be victorious and I'm going to be an overcomer. And there's something about the attitude of an overcomer that aggravates the enemy. And he says, I will attack you. I will come against you with temptation. I will come against you with lust. I will come against you with all other things to try to destroy you. And the devil has a lot of weapons that he uses effectively. But those that are winners, those that are overcomers, have learned to defend against the enemy's efforts. We've learned to control our thoughts. We've learned to walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And they that overcome understand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when the enemy comes in like 
like a flood, we know that the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, we can plead the blood of the Lamb. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, because I overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. No temptation can destroy me, because I will plead the blood. Nothing can come against me to defeat me. Come on, hear the word of the Lord. You will overcome through Jesus Christ. Come on, hear and receive the word of the Lord. You are a victor through Jesus Christ. You are an overcomer. You're not the tail, you're the head. You're not under the feet of the enemy. You're causing the devil problems. Get it through your head that the devil's not about to put you under. You're about to put his kingdom under. The devil's not about to destroy the church. The church is about to make headway into the kingdom of the enemy. And no weapon formed against us will prosper. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Come on, say praise the Lord. Amen. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes about Satan's favorite weapon. And we could list the various weapons, division, disunity, worldliness, anger, hatred, envy, fornication, adultery, temptation, lust, so on and so forth. But I believe from studying the Word of God and from the study of my own life, that Satan has a favorite weapon that he likes to use against individuals in the church. And if he can affect enough individuals, it can begin to be a corporate effect. And Satan's favorite weapon, in my estimation, from study of the Word of God and study of life, is discouragement. Discouragement is the favorite weapon of the enemy. And whether you realize it or not, there is a war raging around you. And this war that I'm talking about is not for your possessions. It's not for some oil-rich oil field somewhere. The war that I'm talking about that's raging around you is for something so much more important than anything that any war has been fought over before. And that is for control of your mind. Because if the devil can get you discouraged, then he can defeat you. He can limit your effectiveness and he can undermine the major impact you were about to make on the kingdom of hell. I read the story in Scripture in First King. It's the story of a mighty man of God who had been used in miraculous ways. His name is Elijah. And many of us have heard the great stories of the miracles in the life of Elijah. But One of the most notable and prominent miracles in his life is the challenge on Mount Carmel where he got together the 450 prophets of Baal, the false god that had begun to uh, uh, wield influence amongst God's people because of the evil rulership of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. But Elijah was a prophet of God that stood up for righteousness, that stood on the word of God and proclaimed and declared the word of the Lord in spite of the fact that it was not popular during that time, it was not politically correct, he was still going to declare righteousness. And on Mark, uh, on uh, uh, this uh, uh, great uh, challenge on Mount Carmel that we see, we see that uh, uh, the prophets of Baal 
We're given the challenge, say, and, and Elijah said, let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. We're going to set up a sacrifice, and we're going to ask God to answer by fire. And the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles in Elijah's life is when, in front of a great multitude of people, after the false prophets had spent all day doing incantations and dances and cutting themselves and all manner of things in order to get the attention of a God with eyes who could not see and ears that could not not hear in hands that could not move he was a stone idol but they were praying to this false prophet Baal and at the end of the day the the, the sacrifice was still laying on the altar and no fire had fallen uh, from their God and then Elijah repaired the altar he put it back together he put the sacrifice on the altar he poured water over the sacrifice so that nobody could say that it was an act of man and then he said a little prayer to the Lord and there in front of all of these people and the these exhausted and bleeding prophets of Baal, a meteorite of, of uh, God's power shone in the heavens uh, as this ball of fire spiraled toward the altar. And all of a sudden, boom, a pyrotechnic display that could never be repeated when the fire of God hit the altar there on the mountaintop. Uh, and there as the sacrifice and the altar and the water were licked up and consumed uh, in front of all the people, they began to shout aloud and declare, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And immediately, I'm talking about an awesome day in the life of Elijah. Immediately, he says, we're going to get rid of all this uh, uh, idolatrous influence in Israel. It's displeasing to God and it's destroying God's people. Gather up the prophets of Baal. And immediately, they seized these 400 prophets. Uh, and the brook uh, Kishon flowed and gurgled with the blood of these false prophets that day as Elijah oversaw the destruction of these 450 influences of idolatry and evilness in the world there. And then to top it all off, we're talking about an awesome day in the life of Elijah. To top it all off, uh, he said, you know what, it's been so long without being any rain because I gave the word. And I believe it's three years. Uh, there hasn't been a drop of rain that's fallen. All the crops have failed and the land is dry and parched. But I give a word right now that before the day is over, we are going to be inundated with rain because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He said, go out and look and see if there's any rain. They went out and there was no clouds in the sky. It had been scorching hot and arid for three straight years. Go out again and check it. On the seventh time, he came back and said, I see a cloud, but it's only the size of a man's hand. I look up and it's little. It's not very promising, but I see a little cloud. And uh, uh, Elijah gave word to Abraham, he said uh, to to Ahab, and he said, "Get on your horse and chariot and get back to the city, because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain." And after three years of no rain, all of a sudden the dark clouds begin to roll in. There was a rumbling in the clouds uh, and, the, and the flash of lightning, uh, and all of a sudden, as Ahab drave his chariot. Uh, and was pushing it and moving quickly through the countryside. He looked off to his side. And there's the old prophet Elijah. Not on a horse. Not on a chariot. But he had hiked up his robes. And he was running by foot. And miraculously, God was with Elijah. And he was the flash. Amen. Because uh, Ahab and his chariot was moving as quickly as they could. And all of a sudden, on foot, Elijah passes him by. Good to see you, king. 
And then the rain begins to fall. And everybody knows that the word of Elijah, when he speaks for God, he's God's man. Here's the amazing part. That's a cool day, huh? One of the best days in his life. The next day, the next day he gets a report. He gets the word that Jezebel had heard about all the prophets being slain. And Jezebel said, heard you killed my prophets. Let the gods do the same to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. said, Elijah, you killed my prophets. Let God kill me if I don't kill you by tomorrow this time. And immediately, this mighty man of faith who had just been on one of the mountaintop experiences, the greatest victories in his life, found himself running away from an evil woman named Jezebel. He went a day's journey into the wilderness, sat up under a juniper tree, began to feel sorry for himself, became so discouraged that he said, God, it's enough. Can I please die? It's enough. Take away my life. For my life is worthless. I'm no better than my father's. And there from one of the greatest victories of his life, the next day he finds himself attacked by what we find as the enemy's greatest weapon, which is discouragement. And you know what? You will find that in your life as well. After some of the greatest spiritual victories in your life, you will see the enemy come against you with a word that will try to discourage you. And discourage is the f- discouragement is, I believe, the favorite weapon of the enemy. And this mighty man of faith and power was discouraged. And I want to talk to you about discouragement. Because the word discouraged comes from the root word courage. Discourage comes from the root word courage. And so it means to somehow take that courage away. You've ever heard the word before discredit? What does that mean? That means to take credibility or credit away from someone. So the root word is credit, but discredit means to take it away. The word discourage, the root word is courage. And to discourage is to take away your courage. And when the enemy seeks to discourage you, that's what he's trying to do. He is trying to steal the courage that you have on the inside through the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you right now, it takes courage to live for God. Amen. It takes courage to be an overcomer. It takes courage to invite somebody out to the church. Amen. It takes courage to be a witness. It takes courage to stand up for righteousness in a world that mocks righteousness. It takes courage to stand up and to live for God. Amen. It takes courage to do something great for God. It takes courage to be a revival church. Amen? It takes courage to be an overcoming child of God. Amen? You don't just kind of saunter into revival. You don't just kind of, you don't just kind of say, well, we ought to be having revival. And all of a sudden, boom, hey, check it out. We're having revival. You've got to have courage. You've got to stand up and declare the promises of God and declare the word of the Lord. It takes courage. Amen? To be a revival church. It takes courage to to do what God has called us to do in this world. And God has put this church here to make an impact.
impact to this community and the various communities that surround us. And the only way it can happen is if there are leaders and people in the house of God that have courage, that believe just like David did. The giant may be a lot bigger than me. He may be better in hand-to-hand combat than me. He may well be able to snap me like a twig and feed me to the birds. But greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You come to me with a sword and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. The odds may be stacked against us. From a fleshly perspective, it may appear to be an impossibility, but God has given us not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of a sound mind. And He has given us courage that says the odds may be stacked against us. We may not have the money, the talent, or the manpower, but we have the name that's above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. It takes courage to stand up. It takes courage to believe in a move of God. It takes courage to be an overcomer. Amen. No such thing as a wimpy overcomer. Amen. You've got to have courage to overcome. Because in order to overcome, you've got to face opposition. That's what overcome means. You don't overcome nothing. You've got to overcome something. That means you're faced with something. And it takes courage to face it and courage to overcome it. Amen? And I'm going to tell you the revival church in the end time, this glorious church without spot or wrinkle, is not just some pristine, pure little group of people uh, that are uh, isolated somewhere like some uh, 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 hermit up on a mountain, just a group of people. That's not the end time church that the Bible's talking about. It's talking about a group of people that's in the trenches. Amen? A group of people that have courage to stand up for righteousness and live for God in a world that makes fun of it. And a group of people that know how to get down to business with God in prayer, that know how to take hold of the horns of the altar, that know how to push back the plate and fast, amen, and say we're going to have a move of God, that know how to invite their friends out to the house of the Lord, that know how to stand up and be a light in a dark world. It's not for wimps. It's not for those that don't have courage. It takes courage to live for God. Come on, it takes courage to have convictions. It takes courage to decide, I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm going to live by the Word of the Lord. So Satan's passion is to discourage you. Because if he can take your courage, you won't have what it takes to live for God. If he can take your courage, you will not have what it takes to be an overcomer. If he can take your courage, then we as a church and me as a leader will not have what it takes to march this church into the opposition. Amen. Right into the territory of the enemy. Come on, somebody. It's what God wants us to do. We're not supposed to be backing up. God never put, amen, God never put any armor on the back. There's a breastplate of righteousness. There's a helmet of salvation. There's a girdle of truth. There's a shodding of the feet. But your back doesn't have any protection because God never intended us to crab out of the situation. But God wants us as a church to be moving forward. And the only way we can go forward is we've got to have that courage that comes from knowing who we are. In Jesus Christ. Come on, help me praise Him right now.
Discouragement is more than just a bad mood. Discouragement is more than just a funk that comes into your spirit. Discourage is an effort of the enemy to steal the only thing that you have to fight him. My God. Think about that. Who am I to stand up to the dragon? Who am I to stand up to Satan with all of his years of experience? Who are you and I to stand up against the prince of the power of the air in the city of Pasadena and surrounding areas? Who are we but just a bunch of yahoos uh, that uh, have been filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Uh, And if we look at it from a fleshly perspective, our lack of experience, our lack of wisdom, our lack of understanding, and put it all out on paper and we would say, you know what, I'm I'm stepping back from this. I don't think I want anything to do with this. Uh, Just like David when he faced Goliath, you put it on paper and everybody says, David, you're making a mistake. But the only thing that thrust him into the battle, what is it that took that little boy, took that young man and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It wasn't arrogance. It wasn't a self-centered motive. It was just courage that said, God is with me. We can do it. God is with me. And we can overcome. I want you to realize that God is with you. God is with you. That's the word that the angel declared to Gideon. If I'm going to encourage you, I've got to let you know that God is with you. And while you are nothing on your own, you can do great things when God is with you. I've got Jesus on the inside. I've got all power in heaven and in earth at my disposal. God is with me. Be encouraged. God is with you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. And discouragement will come to anyone who is fighting the fight of faith. Discouragement will come. Discouragement, that is stealing of your momentum Stealing of your morale. Stealing of the positive emotions that have you excited about what God is doing. The devil wants to come and steal that excitement, to steal that joy, to steal that faith, to steal your expectations, to do something that you, to take something that you were banking on so heavily and to steal that away from you so that now you're looking at the situation and your dream has been busted and broken and destroyed and you're discouraged. You've lost your courage to fight on. It, it, the story in Bible in the Bible about the Midianites and the Amalekites is they came against the children of Israel during the time of Gideon. The Bible said they waited until the crops began to spring forth, and then they came and took the increase of the earth. There was a reason that they were doing that. It's be, not just because they wanted the food. It's because they wanted to demoralize the children of Israel, to steal their morale, to discourage them. Because if they could steal their courage, then they knew that they would never counterattack. Amen? Come on, that's a little profound truth right there. The Midianites and the Amalekites stole the increase because when we begin to see something come forth and then the enemy steals that, it's an effort to steal our courage so that we quit doing what we know we ought to be doing. Amen? The, the enemy can steal our morale and our will to fight on. I remember one of the greatest uh, 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 revivals that I thought I saw was happening in my life is when we brought a young lady into the church and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost while I was in university and uh, baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy 
Holy Ghost and began to literally pack a pew every time she came to church. And it was so exciting to see these uh, denominational people being introduced uh, to the Holy Ghost and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God. And I was so excited and pumped up and just knew we were going to turn the school upside down. But the end of the story is, is I began to see the increase. Uh, then the enemy began to work against this young lady named Christy and stole the truth essentially from her peer pressure and uh, 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 and so forth. And the end of the story was uh, today, as far as I know, she's not attending an apostolic church, uh, but she still got the seed down in her heart. She married a young man that was hungry for God, hungry for more of God. I'm just believing. I haven't heard it yet. It may have already happened, but God is going to bring them back. But let me tell you the effect that happened to me. I was teaching Bible studies, and I was ready to rip into the devil's hide like nobody's business because I saw the fruit of what God was doing. But when the enemy took the increase, when I began to see something positive happen and the enemy was successful in taking the increase, it had the effect of demoralizing me and stealing my courage. I was subject to discouragement. I didn't know how to handle discouragement. I was an immature Christian. I was a young Christian. And I let the enemy steal my courage. And I didn't go forward with what God could have used me for, no doubt, in that area and at that time. But I stand today as a different young man. I stand today as a Christian that is maturing and beginning to recognize the enemy's efforts. It's not the soul that matters. It's you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to steal your courage. It's not just the increase that he wants, but he wants your morale. He wants your momentum. Because if he can steal your morale and your momentum, if he can steal your courage, he can compartmentalize you. He can marginalize your effect against his kingdom. That's why I want to stand and say, I refuse the enemy's discouragement. Negative things may happen. Some of my increase may be gone, but I'm still going to come back like a bulldog. I'm still going to be courageous. Come on, somebody. Do you believe what I'm saying today? Greater is he that is in me. And negative may happen in my life. Pain may come. Things may happen that would try to discourage me. But devil, you're not getting my courage. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you another thing that Satan's very good at in the arena of discouragement. He likes to make things appear a certain way, even when they may not be that way. Are you with me? Satan tries to get us to perceive things a certain way, even when they may not be that way. And the devil tries to bombard us with thoughts and feelings that I'm not doing any good. I'm not helping. I'm not making progress. I'm not living a victorious life. You know, the fact of the matter is, if you had stepped back and look at the whole picture, amen, you would find out that the enemy has you focused myoptically so that he can overwhelm you with negative emotions and make things appear worse than they are. Okay? Elijah's sitting under the juniper tree said, I'm left alone. It's just me and they seek my life. See, that's what, that's what he began to focus on and that's why he was discouraged. 
because he began to get a twisted perspective of the way things really were. God says, you don't know, Elijah. There's 7,000 at least that have never bowed a knee to Baal or kissed his feet. There's 7,000 people that still believe in the true God of Jehovah. But you have become so myopic in your focus because of negativity that, that uh, you have begun to believe something that's not actually the case. And the same is true with our enemy. He tries to present the facts in such a way. Not that he's presenting fallacy. He just manipulates the facts in such a way that things appear worse than they really are. Why? Because his effort is not, it's not about what the ledger is. It's about whether or not he can discourage you. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, Adolf Hitler during the Second World War, when he would uh, parade his armies for people to see, they, they said he would, he would do a photography trick. He didn't do it, but he had people do it that was a looping effect that made it appear as if it was literally an endless endless parade of individuals in his army and in fact he inflated the numbers of his troops and his tanks why because he wanted things to appear a certain way appear worse than it was when he came up against an enemy and enemies like well they've got such and such many tanks such and such amount of infantrymen and so many battalions and we have a limited number than that it didn't the reality was Hitler didn't have as many as he claimed that he had, okay? But that wasn't, the ledger wasn't the issue to him. The ledger was whether or not he could discourage the enemy. If I can manipulate the facts to discourage the enemy, then I have accomplished my goal. The only thing was that Hitler, toward the end of the war, began to call for battalions to go into battle that did not exist. Because he had made them up and call for uh, weaponries uh, that weren't available to him and, and aircrafts and so forth that were inflated, that weren't real. Let me tell you something about your enemy. The devil always tends to overplay his hand. All right? I don't know if you've ever played cards before, but nobody's supposed to see what cards you have. And you do your bidding based on how effectively you think that you can manage the card game. The devil always overplays his hand. Why? Because he's a bluffer. He's a liar. He is a deceiver. He wants you to think that it's worse than it is. The devil wants you to think. But Brother Steele, the devil wants you to think that you're not making any effect with young people or you're not having any success with any kids. But the reality of the situation, the devil may get you focused in on two or three things, two or three negative things or two or three distractions uh, that make it look, hey, man, we're not making the progress that we want to make. And obviously we're never doing as much as we'd like to do. But if you step back from the situation, you would realize uh, that the enemy tries to discourage by getting us to focus in on negative things when we step back uh, and and in the years to come we will realize that there is a great impact uh, that you've made for the kingdom of God great things that are happening in the youth group amen come on and we could go throughout all the church where the devil's trying to discourage you trying to beat you down and trying to cause you to feel like you're useless or powerless or insignificant but the reality of the situation is the devil just wants your morale he just wants your courage because if he can get your courage, he'll cause you to back down from your dreams. He'll cause you to scale down your faith. He'll cause you to scale down what you believe that God can do. But I've got a word from the Lord. I've got a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Be not discouraged. Be not dismayed. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. 
the enemy is putting forth effort to steal the lion-like courage of a true believer. And as I said, discouragement is a twisting of facts, a misrepresentation of evidence, a manipulation of the visuals. And Satan always overestimates his hand. Amen? The devil's bluffing because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The devil's bluffing because God's on your side. God's fighting for you. The devil's bluffing because the Word of God promises no weapon formed against you will prosper. The devil's just there again overestimating his hand. He thinks he's got things in control, and he wants you to think he's got things in control when he really doesn't. If you don't believe it, just look at Calvary. Amen. Satan thought it was a good day for him, but it was his worst nightmare. Amen. He thought he had things in control. He thought he had a great victory. But the reality was is that, that Jesus was dealing a death blow, putting his heel on the head of the serpent and stepping down to crush the skull. Amen. You need to keep your courage. You need to keep your courage. You need to keep your courage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil wants to discourage you. And you know what I want to do? I want to encourage you. I want to get your courage back. I want you to get your courage back. And you don't need me because the Bible gives us evidence that you can encourage yourself in the Lord. In fact, David, when he was discouraged, when he had lost his wife and his men had lost their wives and they lost their children, everything had been stolen from them in the city of Ziklag, the Bible says they thought to stone David. But the Bible also says that David... David encouraged himself in the Lord. If I'm going to go against the enemy, the first thing that has to happen is I've got to get encouraged. I've got to get my courage back. I've got to get my godly courage back. The first thing that you've got to do when you pick yourself up is get your courage back. Get your courage back. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Be reminded that greater is He that is in you. You're the devil's worst nightmare. Come on, young people. You are the devil's worst nightmare. You can do more with the power of the Holy Ghost in one moment to, to unmantle and dismantle the kingdom of the enemy than all the smartest sinners in the world could do. Hallelujah. That's why Satan fears you. Hallelujah. That's why the devil's number one, air, number one target is the arena of your thoughts. He wants to steal your courage. If he can control and manipulate how you think, he can manipulate your whole life. And I promise you, if you dwell on depressing and discouraging thoughts, you will live a depressing and discouraging life. Come on now. How many times have you put effort into something for the kingdom of God and ended up being a downer? And then you go home and all you can think about is negative, discouraging thoughts. How motivated are you going to be to do something again for the kingdom of God? Not very. Because discouraging thoughts produce discouragement. Amen? And the devil is not necessarily interested in the sum at the end of the day. What he wants to know is, have I stole their morale? Have I stole their courage? Amen? You may be smart, but your brains don't intimidate the devil. You may be pretty, but your pretty mug don't intimidate the devil. 
You may have a flamboyant personality and a lot of influence, but that doesn't intimidate the devil. But he's scared of your courage when you get courage in the Lord. Hallelujah. When you get courage in the power of God, it causes him to tremble. You can keep your intellect. You can keep your pretty face and your sweet personality. But let me have your courage, and I will compartmentalize you. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Nora, I appreciate your courage in Jesus Christ. When God tells you to do something, you stand up and do it. Don't let the devil take your courage. Don't let him steal it from you. You're going to impact more people in your future than you have in the past for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil steal your courage. If he can get your courage, it doesn't matter how much influence you have, how great of a personality you have. Somebody stand up right now and say through Jesus Christ. Come on. I need somebody to stand up and say, I've got my courage in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Sit down for a minute. Give me five more minutes. Sorry about that. I spooked some of you. Y'all got excited there for a minute. You've got to guard your courage and guard your morale. Hallelujah. The devil wants to discourage me as your pastor. The devil wants to steal my vision and steal my faith. But I refuse it. I refuse it in the name of Jesus. We're going forward, not backward. We're going forward, not backward. Why? Because Jesus is on our side. God has called us. God has anointed us. And we're going forward. Anybody ready to go forward in Jesus' name? Come on. We're going forward. We're going up. We're with Jesus. Don't let anybody take your courage. Don't let anybody steal your joy. Don't let anybody steal your confidence in Jesus. Come on now. Come on, anybody ever heard this in your head before? You don't have a right to be used of God. Anybody ever heard that before? You don't have what it takes to be used of God. Anybody ever heard that before? You failed the Lord. You can't pray for somebody and then be healed. Forget about all that. That's the enemy's effort to steal your courage so that you can't walk into a situation and say, God can heal you. God can touch you. Walk into a hospital room and say, God's about to raise you up from your bed of affliction. That takes courage. That takes the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And God's given it to you. Somebody get a hold of what the Word of God is coming across tonight with. You have courage through Jesus Christ. You have the ability to stand against opposition. To stand in the face of the enemy. To stand against impossibility. God, my God, you know what? You, you have control over what you think about. You can choose to think discouraging thoughts or you can choose to think encouraging thoughts. Every, every one of us at one time or another go down that discouraging road. Some of us spend a lot of time on Highway D. Amen. On highway discouragement uh, in our thinking process, uh, thinking about what could go wrong and what might go wrong and how negative things look. Uh, we're going down the wrong pathway. Come on. You're going to go down the wrong pathway and the devil's going to steal your courage, uh, your tenacity, and your fight. Uh, but you need to learn. I'm not going down that pathway in my thought process. Uh, I'm not going to think that way. The devil wants you to think discouraging thoughts uh, because if he, can, if he can get you to think discouraging thoughts, you will be discouraged. But it is impossible for you to remain discouraged without thinking discouraging thoughts. 
Come on, it's real practical here right now. It's impossible for you to remain discouraged without thinking discouraging thoughts. You begin to think about the good things that God is doing. You begin to think about the positive spots in your ministry and in your life. You begin to think about the promises that God has given you for your future and the promises that you see unfolding in your life right now. And it won't be very long until your courage will come back, until you'll be ready to fight again, until you're ready to challenge the enemy again and say, Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. It's impossible. You can't remain discouraged without thinking discouraging thoughts. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul goes before the magistrate, the power there, and he says, Guess what, King Agrippa? I think myself happy. You can think yourself sad, you can think yourself discouraged, or you can think yourself happy. That means you can think in a way that will get you discouraged. You can think in a certain way that will make you sad. Or like the Apostle Paul, you can stand before a king and said, I think myself happy. Hallelujah. And you have the power to control your thinking. You may think your circumstances have you down. Your circumstances don't have you down. It's thinking about your circumstances that has you down. If you can think on the goodness of Jesus, think on the brightness of your future. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but I'm preaching to myself tonight. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord. If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't need it, I'm sorry. But I'm going to get what I need out of the Word of God. I'm going to get encouragement from the Word of God. I'm going to make it. You're going to open overcome. You're going to be a victor. You're going to make it to heaven. Hallelujah. Let's stand and praise the Lord together right now. Hallelujah. 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 My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Feel the Spirit of the Lord. Come on, somebody. You are the enforcers. The Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And you do the work of God now. You destroy the works of the devil. The devil's put depression, discouragement, hopelessness in people's lives. And you come along to put peace and hope back into their life through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me, let me give you a little insight right now. What I feel in the Holy Ghost. You know, there's some people that I can judge their mood and their circumstances in their life. Not that I'm a judge, but I can pretty much predict 
what their mood is and what their circumstances they're facing in their life based on their worship. So as pastor, I can sit up here and I can tell who's discouraged and who's excited, who's going through some tough times and who's on top of a mountain based on many of your worship. Why? Because, because we're operating in a false, a false way that is letting our worship be predicated by our circumstances or our situation or our mood. See, the devil can use that against us. How can the devil use that against us? Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible also says rejoice in the Lord always. We like to rejoice when we're happy. We like to rejoice when things are going good. We like to rejoice when we're on cloud nine spiritually. And I can watch and I can say, well, boys, things must be going good in her life. Or, well, she lost a little of her edge this week just based on their worship. Because we worship based on our circumstance. But the Bible never tells us, praise him according to your circumstances. The Bible never says, praise Him according to your mood. The Bible never says, praise Him according to how you feel. The Bible says, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Newsflash, newsflash. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. And forever. That means his excellent greatness never changes. So if we praise him according to his excellent greatness, that means even if I'm discouraged, I'm going to praise him. Even if I am going through a rough time, I'm still going to praise him. Even if I'm running my tanks on low in Holy Ghost, I'm going to praise him anyway. Why? Because what the devil does is he uses this against us. When we need a boost from the Holy Ghost the most, That just happens to be the time when we're least likely to pull up to the pump. Do you hear me? When you're lowest on gas, you're less likely to worship the Lord. And the only way I see that you can get filled up again is you've got to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Come on, I like this mental picture. We come into church, we're prayed up, we're excited, we're on fire for God, our tank's full. But man, we can't wait to get up to the pump and we're smiling real big and gas pouring out all over the ground. But when our tank is empty, we drive right past the pump because we're discouraged, we're defeated, we're down and out. But that's the very time when we need what God has for us. That's why the Bible says, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him in the good times. Praise Him in the bad times. Praise Him when your job's on the up. Praise Him when the job's on the down. Praise Him when you feel Him close. Praise Him when you can't feel Him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Because you can't praise Him very long until the joy of the Lord begins to give you strength, begins to give you your courage back. Hallelujah. Anybody ready to give the Lord a shout of praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. 
Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord when you don't feel like rejoicing. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, it's time to get your courage back. It's time to get your faith back. It's time to get your fight back. Hallelujah. It's time to get your vision back. It's time to get your confidence in God back again in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. Shout with the voice of triumph. Shout with the voice of praise. Shout with the voice of triumph. Hey, shout, shout with, with the voice of praise. Shout unto God. Shout unto God for the victory. Hey, hey, give the Lord a shout of praise. Hey, shout with the voice of triumph. I'm gonna shout with the voice of praise. And shout with the voice of Hey, somebody shout now. Come on. 
Hallelujah. You need to get loose and praise the Lord right now. Because you can receive what you need to from the Lord. So for just a few moments as we begin to sing this song, I want you to just begin to cut loose and praise the Lord however you're comfortable with. However you're comfortable praising the Lord. I just want you to get lost in Jesus for a little bit. If it's fallen to your knees, uh, if it's fallen out in praise, uh, if it's lifting up your hand, if it's dancing, if it's shouting, if it's running, whatever it is, I want you to get out of your seat and just praise the Lord right now and let the Spirit of the Lord give you your courage back. Uh, come on, it's time. Shout with the voice of triumph. Shout with the voice of praise. Hey, lift your voice and shout.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo, come on, that's it, let it go. Somebody praise Him. Somebody praise Him. Hallelujah. God is great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, it's impossible to overdo it when it comes to praising Jesus. Come on, it's impossible It's impossible to overdo it when it comes to giving Him glory. Hallelujah. He's worthy. Eternity won't be long enough for us to praise Him for all He's done for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you already done it, but right now I feel like I feel this. Somebody needs to gra- grab somebody next to you, close to you right now. And we're, getting, we're fixing to pl- pray a blessing on somebody. We're fixing to pray a blessing on somebody. Come on now. In the name of Jesus, I want you to pray for that person. Get in front of them. Put, their, put your hand, if it's appropriate, you can put your hand right on their head or their shoulder, whatever's appropriate. I want you to pray a blessing on your brother or sister right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, pray for them. Pray a blessing on them like you want on yourself. Come on, pray it in confidence and faith right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing on my brother. I pray anointing on my sister. Come on, in Jesus. That's it. Scoop some anointing up on them right now. Scoop some faith up on them right now. Hallelujah. Scoop some Holy Ghost on them right now. In the name of Jesus. Scoop some courage into their spirit right now. Come on, let the Holy Ghost work right now. There's a, there's a work of the Spirit happening in this place right now. Come on, don't be dull. Don't be insensitive to what Jesus is doing. Let the Spirit of the Lord lead you right now to pray with somebody.
Hallelujah. Come on, get your courage back in Jesus. Get your courage back in Jesus.
yours. All the earth is his. All of the earth is his. And the fullness Everything you need. Everything that I need. I got a promise. right now and feel the Spirit of the Lord right here. Shut the curls. Come on, just tenderly reach for Him right now. God's doing something. Jesus, I thirst for You, Lord. And I want more of You, Jesus. Jesus, Come on, anybody hungry for more of God right now? In Jesus' name, Hoshabababosaya. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Mm. Mm, come on, come on, here it is. Woo-hoo. Come on, there's some deep waters for somebody right now. Your answer is right here. What you need from God is right here. Come on, you can receive the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, just let that praise go.
Somebody mentioned that, uh, uh, talked to someone about going on a fast.